welcome to the Renaissance Christian Church Podcast. We're a church family with the mission of seeking God, serving others, and sharing the gospel. We're grateful that you have joined us as we study through the Bible, and we hope that it brings you encouragement and inspiration for your daily life. Here's Pastor John Bandman. How are we all doing? It's great to see everybody. And for those of you that are joining us from home, where our prayers are with you, there's a number of people this morning that are, that are out sick, so we want to be in prayer for them as we continue to navigate this, uh, this crazy time, this tribulation that, the, that, that Jesus promised us, right? Uh, so we just uh, encourage you to be in prayer for, prayer for those who are, who are struggling this morning. So we're going to talk about greatness this morning. I, uh, I, I love... Muhammad Ali's is just as bigger than life, the way he approached his own greatness and, the, and the, just the way he was just over the top. And, and he said about his own greatness one time, he said, I'm not the greatest. I'm the double great, greatest. Right? That, that's Muhammad Ali. It's like, I'm not the greatest. I'm the double greatest. And, and this morning, you know, we're going to look at greatness. So what does it mean to be great? What does Christ have to say about greatness? Um, I was thinking about I was thinking about this course and thinking about a, an experience Donna and I had where uh, we had we had a neighbor when we lived in Brea who had a lot of stuff going on uh, really had some struggles and and one evening he had a pistol in his apartment and one evening it accidentally discharged not sure you know if it was how accidental it was whether you know he was struggling with with suicide or just struggling with anger. There's all kinds of, a whole mix of things going on there. But uh, Don and I went and, and sat down with this guy and prayed for him. And, and in the midst of that prayer, we wound up, and I think I've shared this story before, but we wound up uh, trading a Bible. I think, it, was it your Bible, babe, or mine? Mine? My Bible. I, I traded my Bible for his pistol, which I thought was a great trade uh, for his sake. Um, and now we got this pistol. I don't, I don't do this pistol. I wound up calling the Brea police and said, hey, I got this pistol. Can you come get this pistol? And they showed up at the doorstep. One of them on the doorstep and another one like 20 feet back with his hand on his hip, you know, <laughs> kind of like that sort of kind of greeting. Yeah. Uh, but they took the pistol and, and so that was all safe. But he went on to get, he was engaged by this you know, Orange County skinhead guy at one point and got into a fight and shot him. Uh, wound up in court defending him, you know, as, as sort of a self-defense case and got put in prison for some sort of, some level of manslaughter. Uh, and at some point, Donna and I decided to go up and visit him in prison. And, and we, you know, going to visit someone in prison is an all-day event. So we went through the whole deal and, and, and spent a couple hours with him. I think it was a couple hours. Uh, and I think it really made a difference for him. It was a real blessing for him. He eventually got out, and he was illegal in the U.S. So as soon as he got out, he was deported back to Mexico. And uh, we kind of heard bits and pieces from him. We've lost touch, so I don't know kind of how that's all played out. I actually went and visited another guy in prison who had visited a church we were attending in Anaheim one time and I, same thing you know took my Saturday and went in there and got in line and did the whole rigmarole and this guy didn't know me he just had visited our church and so 
he, he came walking in and looked at me like, who are you and why are you here? You know? And we sat and talked for a while, and the whole conversation was really awkward, and he was kind of just tripping on why I was even there. And we just had this conversation, and he said, okay, well, thanks for the visit. And I said, okay, God bless, you know, prayed for him, walked out of the prison. And, you know, who knows? I don't know if that made any difference for him at all. I really, to this day, I have no idea. He got out of prison, wound up being murdered by his wife, of all things. Can you believe that? Isn't that crazy? And it's like, well, did that make any difference, you know? Did that have any impact? I honestly don't know. Did it make any worldly difference? No clue, right? And it's like, well, was that a great way to spend the day? You know, from a world perspective, I have no idea, to be honest with you. And, it's, and, and I think we all struggle and strive for greatness, do we not? I mean, it's, I think it's in our nature. I mean, we're created by a great creator, an amazing author of the universe who created this amazing creation. On the seventh day, he said, you know, he looked at all he created and he said it was very good, right? It was, it's great, it's greatness. How do, we, how, how do we figure that out? What is greatness? What does greatness really mean? So this morning, we're gonna look at what Jesus, how Jesus defines greatness, what that looks like, how that plays out. So we're continuing in Mark Chapter 9, starting in verse 30, um, and find my way there as you find your way there. Mark chapter 9, verse 30, they went on from, from there, okay, if you remember from last Sunday, great message, by the way, if you, if you didn't catch it, uh, go online, look it up, a great message on faith, the nature of faith uh, that Robert preached last Sunday, I encourage you to take a look at that. So they're continuing on. Uh, Jesus, of course, we've already passed the turning point. Jesus is very focused on going to Jerusalem to die. And he states it very clearly again to his disciples. Verse 30, he says, They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for it was for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. So a couple things to notice here. Number one, Jesus' purpose on, on, and being born is to go to the cross, right? And he says it over and over and over again to his disciples. And they have a hard time taking this in. They, they kind of, they're in denial about it. They kind of ignore it when Jesus talks about it. They don't want to talk about that. They don't kind of press him on that. They, you know, they, they just are not taking this message in very well at all. Because why? It's not a, if, if you're a disciple of Christ and you're following him around and you're suing him, do all these great things, right? This is, not, this is not the message you really want to hear, is it? I mean, this is not the prosperity gospel, right? This is not, Marilyn and I were just talking, this is not positive thinking, right? To say, well, I'm here to die. Really? And the disciple's like, no, no, you're here to kick the Romans out, establish your kingdom, and make us all kings and princes in, your, in, in Jerusalem. That's what you're here for. Come on, Jesus, let's get with the program. That's greatness, is it not? And Jesus is saying, no, no, I'm, I'm here to die. Why? To ransom all of you from your sin, from your selfishness. That's why I'm here. I think, um, you know, the, 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 you know this, this idea, how, how could... How could that kind of sacrifice be such greatness? I, I think 
a passage that really displays it really well is actually in Revelation chapter 5. In the context of this chapter, John has this vision of the heavenly throne, and he sees God the Father on his throne, and it's just this amazing scene of ultimate greatness, right, with myriads of angels and the four creatures surrounding the thrones, and just this amazing scene. And then Jesus gets introduced into the scene. In Revelation chapter 5, starting in verse 6, it says, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, notice Jesus is among the elders. The elders represent the church. That's you and I, right? Jesus is standing in this incredible, great vision of the throne room. Jesus is standing with you and I. He's standing with his church. Um, and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. That represents the Holy Spirit, by the way. So we have the whole Trinity pictured here. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, who is the father. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open the seals. Why? For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Why is Christ so great? Because he's willing to give up his own life. He's willing to serve us by dying on the cross. And because he's willing to do that, he, because he's willing to go so low, it elevates all of us up to heaven, to this heavenly throne room where we can be in the very presence of God and sing his glory and experience and participate in this great symphony of greatness. Is that not a great thing? Right? Is that greater than what we often get caught up in and, and struggle with? In our, and when we get up in the morning, are, are striving to, in terms of our sense of what, what greatness is. The disciples are no different than us. I, I, love, I love the Bible because it's just so real. And it shows the disciples with all of their flaws, which all of us can relate to. So continuing in the passage in Mark 30, as Jesus is talking about this great sacrifice that he's making for his disciples. What are, the, what are the disciples talking about? Verse 33. And they, and they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? Of course, this is a rhetorical question. Jesus knows exactly what they're discussing on the way. And 34 says, but they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest, Right? And notice they keep silent because they know probably the argument about greatest was Jesus is probably not super impressed with the argument about who's the greatest, right? Because they probably have some sense on some level that their definition of greatness is sort of off track and they're shooting at the, one, at the wrong goal. So they're like, well, they're just mum. They don't, Jesus said, well, what were you all talking about? And they're like, um, I got nothing. I'm not, I don't know. <laughs> But what they're talking about is who's the greatest. Notice greatest. It's a relative term, meaning which one of us, this group of disciples, as we're, we're walking along, which one of us is the greatest out of this group? 
right? Comparative. Who is the greatest? And that's how, that's sort of the worldly view of greatness. It's like, well, I'm greater than you. At least I'm greater than you. At least I'm greater than my next door neighbor. My next door neighbor may have, you know, a jacuzzi, but I got a pool, right? Pick whatever thing it is. We're, Americans were obsessed about our stuff, our things, right? And that, we define our greatness often by our possession. Um, but the disciples are, are, are having this argument about who is the greatest, this relative term. Well, I'm, I'm greater than my neighbor. That's the definition of greatness. And soci- there's been a whole raft of, of studies by sociologists that basically look at, well, what makes people happy? What's gives them a sense of well-being, what gives them a sense of accomplishment like they, and, and, and feel good about themselves? And the answer is, it doesn't matter their objective status at all. It doesn't matter how wealthy or, or, or how famous they are objectively, if you, if you took a cross-section of the whole world, it has no bearing on that. It only matters how, how wealthy, how prosperous, how how powerful they are relative to their neighbors, to the people closest to them. That's, that's the correlation. People seem to have a greater sense of well-being as long as they're doing better than the people in their own neighborhood, in their own community, right? So if you're, you know, within the community of Renaissance, if you tend to ha- be doing a little better financially or a little better in terms of your you know, your relationships or your, you know, you got more friends on Facebook, whatever, you're more prone to have a better sense of who you are, a better, a greater sense of well-being. But is that what Christ is offering us? Is that what Christ went to the cross for so that we could feel good about ourselves because we're a little better off than our neighbor? You know, is that greatness? Well, the reality is that's that's what we base most of our sense of greatness on. That's just the truth and reality, honestly. But let's look at how Christ defines greatness. And in, um, well, and, and before there, I, you know, I love Muhammad Ali's quotes. So I have some more to read. Um, I'll, I'll just read them to you. And just to finish that, that quote I just read briefly, Muhammad Ali says, I'm not the greatest, I'm the double greatest. Not only do I knock them out, I pick the round. I'm the boldest, the prettiest, the most superior, most scientific, most skillfulest fighter in the ring today. Right? Is that the, is that the hyper worldview? Another one, he says, I'm not the, um, I've wrestled the alligators. I've tussled with a whale. I done handcuffed lightning and throw thunder in jail. You know, I'm bad. Just last week, I murdered a rock, injured a stone, hospitalized a brick. I'm so mean, I make medicine sick. <laughs> Do you love that? I love that, man. Muhammad, man. He's, he's amazing. But it's interesting because, I mean, Muhammad Ali is an African-American born in, 19, or in the early 40s. I don't remember exactly the date, like 42, 43, something like that, in Kentucky, right? He, he's got a lot to overcome in terms of be, being greater than to his next-door neighbor, being greater to, than his local community, He's got a long road to hold, and he's a fighter. He, literally, he's a fighter. But, you know, boxing to him, it, it, for him, I don't think it was about winning a boxing match. Winning a boxing match was just a means, a way out, a way up, a pathway to greatness. 
right? And I think that's all of us, is it not? So much of what we do, our investment in our careers, what we're striving for, what we work our lives for, is it not just a, a way out, a way up, a path towards some sort of greatness, some sense of well-being, some control, some prosperity, right? Muhammad Ali is no different. And it's interesting, there's a few other quotes that kind of re revealed the truth of, and, and he's a very self-aware guy. It's, it's interesting. He's very aware of what he's doing. Here's another quote that I think reveals a lot. He says, at home, I'm a nice guy, but I don't want the world to know. Humble people, I found, don't get very far, right? That's the world's philosophy. That's what we've grown up with. That's what the air we breathe as Americans, right? We're not going to let people know who we really are because, you know, it's going to hold me back. Right? I'm not going to win the, the prize. I've got to be the superman, the superwoman, in order to achieve greatness so I can have a sense of well-being. Another quote is, sometimes I feel a little sad. Sometimes I feel a little sad because I can see how some things I said could upset some people. But I did not deliberately try to hurt anyone. The, catch this. Here it is right here. The hype was part of my job like skipping rope, right? All that hype, he's very conscious about it, very aware of it. All that, you know, I'm gonna kill you, I'm gonna pummel you, I'm gonna destroy you, was his way, his path to achieving some level of power and wealth and control and prosperity as a way up, as a way out, right, of, where, of what he grew up with. And aren't we all striving for that? I mean, I, my parents' generation would just say that outright. You know, we want you to be more successful than we were. I didn't finish my college degree. I want you to go to school and finish college degree. I want you to have a better job. I want you to achieve more, right? But is that the biblical definition of greatness? Is that what Christ has called us to in terms of greatness? Is that automatically a wrong thing to achieve great things? Of course not. But what's your ultimate goal? And for what purpose? And who does it ultimately serve, right? So let's see what, what, what Jesus says uh, to his disciples here after they're unwilling to confess that they're arguing over who's, who's the greatest one of them. Jesus, verse says, says, 35 says, And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. How's that counter to everything that we live and breathe and experience in this world? If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. All right, so I want to kind of unpack this a little bit. First of all, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. This, this term... Uh, first is the word proto. I just ordered a prototype. So it's the first of a, of a design that I've created for a product. So if you want to be first, if you want to be the leading edge, if you want to get out in front of people, Jesus is saying you got to strive to be just the opposite of that and be least. What? How does that make any sense? Right? Jesus is using this, this ironic way of speaking to say, you know what, we've got to completely turn upside down all of our assumptions about what greatness is. 
If you want to be first, you need to be last. And it's like, whoa, that's Jesus being very purposeful here. What he's saying here is all your ideas about being first and great are wrong-headed and upside down, and you're going to have to turn, you're going to have to completely shift the paradigm and turn this right side up. The, the way I would summarize the, the, the way the world thinks about greatness is serving, and I'm, I'm going to use a, a Muhammad Ali kind of English crush word, uh, serving your own greaterness. Greaterness, I don't think greaterness is a real word, but I'm, I'm, if Mama, Muhammad could do it, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm using greaterness. So the, the world's idea is to serve your own greaterness. Right? It's all about serving your own greaterness. And what, what do you get out of serving your own greaterness? You get um, serving yourself with your own finite power, control, pleasure, happiness, and well-being. So what you get out of serving your own greaterness is your own finite greaterness, your own finite power, your own finite control, your own finite sense of well-being. That's what you get out of this sort of worldly impulse to serve your own greaterness. But to, to follow Christ's model, to, to make yourself last and to serve Notice the illustration that Jesus used. He uses a very real-world illustration in real time, and he brings a child, sits a child on the lap, and what does he say? Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. So you've got to think about children in the first century. I mean, in our day, we're all about our kids. I mean, we've really elevated child-rearing and, 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 and the value of children to a, a very different state, which is a good thing, by the way. I'm, that's not a negative thing. But you got to remember, in the first century, I, it's funny because I was just reading something my mom wrote about her childhood. And she had this one little one-off comment that I think was really telling. And when she was pregnant, none of my, when she was pregnant with, uh, I think she, it was with me, when she was pregnant with me, None of my older brothers and sisters knew that she was pregnant. They didn't know I was going to be born until the day I was born. They didn't know about me until the day I cried. Isn't that strange? And, and she makes the comment, back in that day, we never told children, you know, that mom's having a baby. And I, I think part of that was sort of the whole Puritan kind of thing. It's like, well, you know, if you talk about having a baby, then you got to talk about what causes the baby, and, you know, we don't want to go there. Don't go there, right? So they sort of didn't talk about it. Um, but there's also a sense, and like my grandparents' generation, you were lucky if one-third of your kids made it to puberty, right? I mean, infant mortality rates in two generations ago were a whole different deal. So kids in the first century, I mean, they're there, but, you know, you've heard it said that women were maybe just a step above livestock back in that day, well, think about where children were, where most of them didn't even survive, you know, to be teenagers. So Jesus takes, like, the least in society, this little child, sets him on his lap and says, whoever receives one such child, what does he mean by receive one such child? Embraces him. It literally says, taking him in his arms. Jesus took this little child in his arms and says, whoever receives this child, in other words, Whoever blesses a little child, whoever takes time to kind of stoop down to their level and embrace them and say, hey, I see you, I recognize you, you're valuable, and give them warmth and care and love, whoever does that receives me personally. 
That's a big deal, right? This, this is the whole point of the message this morning. What, what do you gain by going to a prison, spending a Saturday and visiting some guy who's like, I don't even know why you're here, dude. What do you gain from that? But Jesus says, you, you gain me, you gain my presence. Okay, and, and for us Americans, we always think about well-being and success in very material terms. But think about it. It's not the reality, ultimately. It's not what creates the greatest amount of blessing in your life, the relationships you have. I mean, aren't the things all just sort of a means to support your family and your church? And, and what's the purpose of the family and the church and your work community? Relationship, is it not? When do you feel the most blessed? Is it not when you had a great Thanksgiving meal and all your family's gathered around you and you're sitting there listening to all these conversations with a stomach full of turkey and just relaxing? And is that not blessing? I mean, as I get older, that, that becomes, that's become the definition of blessing in my mind. But you think about what brings the most joy in your life and is it not directly related to relationship? And Jesus is offering the greatest relationship when we're willing to serve relationship. And specifically, when we're willing to stoop down and serve a relationship that doesn't offer us anything, right? And there's a passage, I won't go to it for a sake of time, but there's a passage that talks about, Jesus talks about the last day, the last judgment. And he, and he divides people into sheep and goats. And what, what separates the sheep and the goats is that the sheep gave Jesus a glass of water they clothed him when he was naked. They fed him when he was hungry. They visited him in prison when they were in prison, when he, was, when he was in prison. And all the sheep were like, Lord, we never did that for you. When, when did we ever visit you in prison? And Jesus said, when you did to the least of these, you did them unto me. You weren't visiting that guy, that random dude in prison, John. You were visiting me. And, and when we give up our own greaterness to serve somebody else's greaterness, and especially someone who just doesn't have any greatness or doesn't have anything to offer us, what Jesus says is, look, you get me, and not only do you get me, you get the Father. Well, I've confessed my sin. I've received the Lord. Do I not already have him? Well, yeah, but it's, but it's, a, it's a fuller degree of him. It's, you know, I have my wife. You know, I have, I'm so thankful that I have my wife. But I have another degree of her when we're out on a date, right? I have another great degree of her when she comes back from a trip and I've missed her, right? Jesus is saying, look, when you purpose in your, in your, in your desire and, and you're seeking after greatness, when you purpose to, to elevate somebody else, particularly someone who doesn't have anything to offer you, I'm giving you the ultimate greatness, which is me, my very present relationship, connection with me and the Father. That is greatness. By the way, that is infinite greatness. You want to focus on your own greaterness? What you get is your own finite greaterness. It's here today, gone tomorrow. Muhammad Ali, I mean, he, you can look him up. There's all kinds of quotes on the internet. He has some level of greatness but he's already fading. I was trying to think this morning, I think he lit the torch at one of the Olympics, but I can't remember which Olympics it is now. Yeah. And next generation, well, you know, just it'll get dimmer and dimmer. And this is a, a big 
you know, a famous guy. But it's finite. It's fading. It's passing. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. And all of our striving and, and working and trying to achieve greatness is here today and gone tomorrow. But Paul says, whatever you've done out of faith in Christ is, is precious stones, precious metal. It's going to last forever because it's relationship in Christ and it's his presence in greater and greater levels rising up and spilling over for all of eternity. That's true greatness. That's the greatness that Christ has call, called us to. And by the way, that's the greatness that the world recognizes as, whoa, that's something very different, right? When we step out in the world, like this thing we're going to do in a few weeks to go do a prayer walk, we're going we're to walk around, walk around and talk to an invisible God about women and babies we don't know. We're going to see any great thing happen out of that? Uh, you know, probably we won't witness it. But who knows what difference, who knows how Christ might respond to that? Who knows what difference and what new way Christ might show up for some young gal who's terrified and figuring out what is she going to do with this, this child growing inside of her? And that's the greatness that Christ calls us to. It doesn't have obvious immediate reward, but it has the ultimate reward and, and greater, deeper relationship in Christ. I'd summarize it by saying, Serving those without greaterness equals the greatest ones serving you with infinite power, control, pleasure, and well-being. Do you want the finite well-being or do you want the infinite sense of well-being, of fulfillment, of blessing, shalom? I wish, wish we had a word equivalent to shalom. It has so much wealth of meaning. It means peace and joy and fullness and blessing and this great sense of well-being. You want more and more and more of that? Then serve those who need help in their greaterness. Right? And that's what Jesus says. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. You want to receive Christ more and more this morning? You want to experience more and more in the presence of the Father? And, and, and have the full blessing of that throughout all of eternity in the new kingdom, then serve those who are least. Make yourself the least. Jesus is our model. Paul says in Philippians, Jesus, Jesus didn't consider his godhood something to hang on to and clutch on to and grasp, but rather he emptied himself of his godhood, gave himself up to be crucified on the cross for our sake. That is greatness. And what did it gain him? It gained him relationship with us. Scripture says that we are his inheritance. Think about that. How much do you desire to have inheritance? It's not a great thing if your parents decide, you know what, we're going to sell our house and give you all the money. That doesn't typically happen in our culture. That's kind of how it worked in the old day. You know, inheritance was given much, early, given much earlier in life in, in the old days. But think about this. The inheritance that Jesus has, the inheritance that he looks forward to, the inheritance that he, he desires is you and I. That's what he went to the cross for. So he could gain you and have you. That's his inheritance. And he is our inheritance, according to scripture. So you want to have greatness? Have Christ. You want to have Christ? Confess your sins to him. Receive him into your life and serve 
those who don't have him, don't have food, don't have clothing, don't have freedom, don't have liberty, serve them and you'll experience a greater level of, of, of his love, his relationship, connection. Amen? We're all going to struggle with this. Struggle every day. So much of, so much of my heart is, cu- is caught up in the American dream of having, you know, bigger house, more cars, all of it. The struggle. But let's struggle well together. Let's remind, let's challenge each other. Hey, how can we serve? Where can we serve? I think it's a challenge for our leadership, the challenge for our elders to, to look at what's going on in the community and provide and help provide opportunities for us to serve as a church. And I think that's something we as elders will be praying about and looking for. And, and this uh, life walk is, is a step in that direction. I look forward to more opportunities like that. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, apart from you, we, we would just, we would have nothing but the, oppor- but the desire to, to just hunt for our, our own greaterness. God, but because of you and because of your great love for us, you have empowered us to serve as you served, to walk in this world as you walked in this world, and to serve those who have nothing to offer us, God, to your glory. God, and as as an expression, as the feet and the arms and the hands of your great love, God. And I pray, Father, that as a church, Lord, you would grow us and empower us to be greater in our service to you. There are so many here this morning that serve in really profound ways, who really give up a lot of time and and a lot of energy, God. And Lord, I pray, Father, that you would just build on that, that you would grow that, that we would be marked by your kind of heart, the desire to serve those, God, who are in need. And that we would serve them well with wisdom and purposefulness, God, in a way that really makes a difference. Not just something that makes us feel good about ourselves, but something that really makes a difference for those whom you love, God. And I just thank you for your love. In your son's name, amen. Thanks for joining us in today's study. If you'd like to know more about us or where you can attend one of our services, you can find information online at www.ren.church. That's R-E-N dot church. Thanks for listening.